0: Low Park View, how are you? Glad to hear it. Glad that you're here. Let me ask for that. Okay, I thought it was just just me. Uh, if you were wondering, um, I would be the guy on the shopping cart. That's just that's just me personally. I'm so glad that you're here, and uh, I'm so glad to be able to use this video as a way of saying this is what we've been trying to talk about for the last three weeks. We've been trying to talk about the good and the beautiful and the true God. And, and so the good thing about that is we get to reflect back over what we've already talked about. We talked about how God is good and that God provides for us and gives us what we need. How, how God is beautiful and he created beauty and he calls us to himself through beauty. And how God is true, that God is real, that God is legitimate and he wants people of, of truth. And, but I want to answer for you today the question that everybody asks and it's a deep philosophical question which is this one. So what? Big deal. If God is beautiful, good, beautiful, and true, what what does that even mean? Does it even matter to me? And, And this is the statement I want to make to begin. If we live with the good, beautiful, and true God, then there must be such a thing as a good, beautiful, and true life. To spend time with the good, beautiful, and true God means that something's going to happen to us, and there must be a life that goes along with that. And today, I want to take you through a passage of the Bible in a book called Colossians. So if you brought your Bible with you, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. If you didn't, I'll have it up on the screens uh, for you to be able to see. But Colossians is a really interesting letter. It's written to a church in a city called Colossae, which is out in the Mediterranean world, and uh, it's kind of a smaller city. But they were going through some incredible times, and there's a church there that's planted by a man, not Paul, but another man. But Paul, the apostle in the Bible, is the one who's kind of coming alongside of them, helping them to grow, helping them to know what they need to do next. And what you see, if you read this letter all the way through, is that Paul loves these people. He loves them. and He's trying to encourage them because this is a really difficult time to be a Christian. To be a follower of Jesus was punishable by death or imprisonment. And so he knew he needed to encourage these people. But in order to talk about What I'm going to talk about today, I have to tell you about something that I hate. Can I just do some confession time with this close group of people right here? I have to confess something that I hate. I hate math. I always have. Um, If you are a math person, good on you. If you are an engineer or a doctor, you add value to life. I'm not denigrating your career, just don't get me wrong. To me, in 10th grade, I found the two greatest things that math ever gave me. In my 10th grade geometry class, I had a class with a bunch of really good looking upperclassmen girls. So that was one part of it that was really awesome. And the second part is I learned these things called conditional statements. How many of you are geometry people? You know what conditional statements are. They're if then statements. If this is true, then this is true, okay? But what I found is that our life is really filled with these if-then statements. So I'm going to throw out a couple, and I want, I'm going to start it, and I want you to finish it, okay? So the first one is, if you build it, they will come, right, right. If you want to break, make an omelet, you have to break some eggs, right. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. If you root, root, root for the cubbies, it's not a universal answer there, so... um I'm going to move on. The letter of Colossians is built on conditional statements. Paul writes the whole letter saying, if this is true, then this is true. But also, if this is not true, then this new thing has come to pass. And so that's how he talks to them. He says, listen, point A used to be true. But now point B is true. Here's what he says at the very beginning. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This to me talks about the lost truth of the Bible. And the lost truth of the Bible is this, the good and beautiful and true God starts with telling us who we are before he ever tells us what to do. He doesn't start with get yourself in order and do the right stuff. He starts with this is who you are. Even back in the Old Testament, in the uh, Ten Commandments, you may have heard of these things. The Ten Commandments is the biggest list of do and do nots in the whole Bible. But the very first verse of the passage with the Ten Commandments starts this way. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Notice he doesn't say, I'm about to give you a bunch of to-do things, and if you don't do them, I'm going to punch you right into hell. This is what he says. He says, I freed you. You are free people now. This is how free people live. So let's start with who you are and then move to what you need to do. So the good, beautiful, and true life really begins with identity. God redefines who we are as people. So for our discussion today, I need to take you backwards a little bit into Colossians chapter 2 at the end. And you're going to see this fiery, beautiful picture of the good, beautiful, and true life. But before that happens, we have to see that Jesus did something to make it possible. In Colossians 2, it says, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ He forgave all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Let me sum up this passage best by saying... It's not when we get our stuff together. It's not when we are good enough for God that he changes our identity. He says here, while you were still dead, God did this. So before you ever knew that you needed me, I made a way for you to come to me. While you were still dead, I changed your identity. The old destructive dead us can pass away and a new living vibrant us can come to life. Old destructive husbands can become new loving parents and fathers. Our old destructive habits of greed and consumption can be blasted to bits. Our old destructive ways of gaining love and acceptance through sex can be revealed for what they are, a sham. And not just that, the powers that draw us into this life that destroys us Jesus embarrasses them in public. He disarms them. They have no potency. They have no teeth. They got nothing. And that is very good news, if you ask me. But that's not all of it. You see, because most people stop there and say, well, that's the gospel. That's great. That's great news, right? No, no. That's the first part. Because listen to what Paul follows up with. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. He's saying that since now you've been raised, you get to think of the world differently. You get to see the world now through the eyes of God and not through the eyes of broken, shambled things that you've come by in this world. You don't have to carry around that old set of motivations and habits and doubts anymore. You can be free of those. Isn't that freeing? The old us can die and the new us can come to life. We can put our mind and heart on the reality of the good and beautiful and true God. If we think on God's goodness, we will come to the point where we realize He will take care of us. If we think on God's beauty, we'll start to see it everywhere and it will draw us to Him. If we put our minds on God's truth, we'll be able to see reality and act with wisdom and hope when everything else seems dark. Now listen, husbands, do not go home and ignore your wives and tell them, hey, listen, I had my mind on things above. It's in the Bible. I'm sorry I wasn't listening. I was thinking on things above. That's what Paul says. Did you not listen to the sermon today? That's not what he's doing. What he's saying is we get focused so many times on the threats and the anxieties and the values of a world that is trying to kill us. What we need is new programming. I was driving home Uh, to my home state of West Virginia and I knew that they had made a new road uh, off of the interstate but apparently my GPS was not updated enough to reflect that so I'm driving and then if you've ever had this experience the little car on the screen starts to go in this blue ocean looking thing, and it kind of tails off, and there's this big blue splotch, and you, and then the, the, the lady in the voice in the thing started to panic, and she's going, re- recalculating, 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 and she's saying it over and over again, and finally she goes, listen, slugger, I got nothing. This is on you. I knew where I was going. I knew there was a road there. She did not. What, the problem with this new life is we know how to live new life like old dead us, I know how to do dating like old dead me. I know how to do work like old dead me. I know how to handle my finances like old dead me. But this new alive me, he scares me a little bit. Because I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like. So when Paul says, set your minds on things above, he's saying you need to get reprogrammed so that you can see life through the eyes of the way God made you to live. He explains this new life this way. He says, for you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Please don't get lost in this. I really want you to get this. This hidden with Christ in God thing is the idea of being saved. We hear this language in churches all the time about God wants to save people. What does that mean? It means that God wants to protect them. He wants to rescue them and keep them safe. God wants to hide what he wants to keep safe. It's the reason we put our money in a bank and don't keep it in underneath our mattress although sometimes That sounds like a better idea. We keep things safe that we want to rescue and keep safe. We hide them. And so when he says, You are hidden in Christ, he said, I want to save you. And what we find out is that in Jesus, our whole existence is safe, hidden, protected. We've all heard about identity theft, you know. Somebody goes online, gets your credit card information, gets your, gets your personal information and totally ruins everything for you. That kind of makes me want to stuff my money in a mattress and maybe build a bunker. But anyway, um, identity theft is so prevalent. It's going on everywhere. It's actually even happening in the animal kingdom. Most people don't know this, but there are these fish that now are trying to um, <laughs> steal... And then cats are just fed up, I guess, with their non-aggressive. And now they're joining a little bit of a rougher crowd, you know, trying to fit in, get some respect. Do you know that living the opposite of the good, beautiful, and true life is letting your identity be taken from you? It's, It's like submitting yourself to identity theft. God has already said, you are alive in me, you are hidden in me. So to live any other way is to let that identity be taken away from us. And this word hidden has at its root the idea of that word for encryption. So when you have a password in an online thing, they encrypt it so nobody can take it. The word in the Greek is the same word where we get the word encryption from. So God is encrypting us in Christ, hiding us, keeping us safe, putting us in a place where we cannot be stolen from him. Once you are alive in him and hidden in him, no one can take from you that new identity in Christ. No one. So when the diagnosis is cancer, you're hidden. When he hits you again, you're hidden. When she says, I'm leaving, you're hidden. When they eliminate your position, you are hidden. When you feel lost and lonely and cast aside, you are hidden in Christ God desired to save us and to protect us. And Jesus died for that desire. But not only that, he rose to renew us and to renew our entire lives. This is the beginning of the good news. And the second half of it is this, that our identity leads to inspiration. Our identity leads to inspiration. It moves us into living the way that we need to live. This is how Paul says it. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Notice where he starts. He starts with therefore. To remind you that I'm not asking you to do this out of nowhere. I'm saying if you're alive with Christ, if you are hidden with Christ, you can put these things to death. This is what the new life looks like. You don't have to live in the old ways anymore. You can put those things to death. And all of the things in this passage are actually good desires at the bottom that are just completely out of control. They are disordered desires, and disordered desires lead to destruction, but the hidden life leads to healing. And Jesus was actually getting at this in his ministry when he says, if you seek the kingdom, my father's kingdom, everything else will come back in line because he's putting our desires back in order. When I was a kid, I was in a youth group at church and uh, they came up with this thing called lock-ins. If you don't know what a lock-in is, what you do is you pump a bunch of teenagers full of uh, caffeine and sugar and then you lock them in a building for 24 hours. I don't know, it sounds like a great idea. and so we played this game in our lock ins called sardines. Anybody else played sardines before? Sort of a takeoff of hide and seek. You get two people, they go and hide, and then you send the rest of the group out to find the people who hid. But instead, when they find the people who hid, they don't pull them out and say you you know it's somebody else's turn. They hide with them. Until finally there's this one lonely couple of people going, Where did everybody go? Because they're the last ones to find everybody, and then everyone's jammed underneath a folding table or something like that. And I don't know, maybe maybe it was fate, um, maybe it was accidental, but I always seem to get paired up to hide with somebody with a girl that I happened to be dating at the time. I, I don't know how that happened exactly. It's an odd mystery of how that may have happened. And so we got some good alone time before everybody else started to find us. And and so from that, what I can tell you is this. There are some things that don't belong in hide and seek. Because then I became a youth leader and I ran a lock-in and I saw what was about to happen. I was like, oh, no, 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 guys and guys. I know, I know, I got you. I'm on to this, no way. There are just some things that don't belong in hide-and-seek. And what Paul is saying is, listen, if you're alive in Christ, if you're hidden in Christ, there are things that do not belong in the hidden life. Because, and it's not just because he wants you to be a giddy 2 shoes kind of person. This is why, because those disordered desires are the things that destroy us. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, these are the things that will put you to death eventually. So you beat them to the punch. You either put them to death or they will put you to death. I'm not a violent guy, but this is the only place I think the phrase kill or be killed actually makes some sense. The life we live is to put to death some of those things. Now listen, Paul is writing this letter to Christians. So these are all people who are already a part of the Jesus project. And he's telling them, there's some stuff in your life that needs to be put to death. So Christians are messed up too, just in case you think we've got all of our stuff together. We don't. But there are some things that need to be put to death. He's not trying to guilt them. He's just trying to show them who the enemy really is. Look at this list again. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed and idolatry. And then anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language. All of these things start as really good things that God created. God created in us the desire for sexual relationships. He created us in, the, in us the desire to earn enough money to provide. But what happens is these desires get totally out of whack and they destroy us. And I hope if you're wrestling with that today, you don't feel guilt from this, but you can nod and say amen with me and say, yes, those are the kind of things that will destroy us. But they don't just destroy us. They destroy our relationships with other people. What they do is they start a cycle of crazy. And some of you know what it feels like to be a part of the cycle of crazy. These disordered desires get completely out of control and we feel like we can't get out of it. Reality TV exists because of the cycle of crazy. Am I right? This is the only thing that keeps the shows on the air is because people continue to choose things that are out of sight with what God wants for them. I, there's not going to be any reality shows in heaven. I'm pretty convinced of that. Can I get an amen on that one? Uh, there's also not going to be math because I hear every problem is going to be solved in heaven. So, <laughs> Listen, if, if you're a follower, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, can I just point this out to you and welcome you into this discussion? there are things in your life that are going to destroy you or are destroying you. My message is you don't have to live there anymore. Because of Jesus, you can be freed from old dead you walking around with this old corpse of a person praying that things change when we know that they won't. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, there are some things in your life that do not belong in the hidden life. And Paul says, put them to death. Because if not, they are going to wound you and wound other people. The word here that he uses is mortify. And mortify basically means you cut off the life supply. In MMA terms, you make it tap. You cut it off. You radically shift the way you look at the things that threaten you and you say, I don't have to live here. This does not belong in the hidden life. Now I want to clarify too what Paul says because people get messed up on this. He says something about filthy language. Filthy language is, and some of you saw that and were like, oh, I already did that one today. Filthy language is not what you say when you hit your thumb with a hammer. It's not what you say when the person in front of you slams on their brakes too soon. Filthy language here that Paul is saying is actually abusive language. It's language that you use to put down and shame another person or yourself. I see so much destruction in this. I see people talking to each other horribly. I see husbands talking about their pets better than they talk about their wives. Let me tell you something that does not belong in the hidden life. Put it to death. I see so much destruction in gossip and spreading destructive rumors about people. You know what gossip is? It's like vomiting into the wind. It comes back to you and it's worse the second time around. Trust me. It doesn't belong in the hidden life. Put it to death. An unhealthy sexual relationship, either in a marriage or outside of a marriage, does not belong in the hidden life. Put it to death. Make it tap. It does not belong Seeking the harm or the ruin of another person, either their character or them physically, does not belong in the hidden life. Put it to death, because you don't have to live that way. Instead, here's what Paul says. You've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. This is where Paul starts to get electric. This is where he starts to get exciting. He starts to say, listen, this is who you are. This is the stuff in the way, but here's the promise. Here's what's going to come. Renewal is that feeling like that new car smell. Renewal is that thing when you get the car back after it's been in the body shop after the accident. Renewal is taking that thing that was once broken and dead and making it new and And whole again. Who doesn't want renewal? Everything to be made the way it's supposed to be. Because here's what happens. Every time we let our identity as hidden ones inspire us to act as Jesus would, we become good and beautiful and true. That's the promise Paul gives us in this passage. Now listen, you get to hear Tim preach all the time. I know, I'm I'm getting a little tired of it too, but... um, So you know his heart. You know where he stands on things. Let me give you my heart. My heart hungers for transformation. I don't want people just, I don't want to just see people meet Jesus, which is an awesome thing. I want to see people have their internal world and external world totally renovated by the God who has said, you are hidden, you are alive, put these things to death and be renewed. There is a possibility here that the world can change. I'm looking for these radical renegades of resurrection who are locked in deep with the covenant love of Jesus who are saying, I'm done with the old me and I want the new me. I want to be renewed. That's my passion. That's my heartbeat. And I want that for you maybe more than you want it for yourselves. I ought to be careful here. I may just start preaching in the morning. That's what I want because my heart breaks for people who are living their lives unhidden and they're getting pounded. My heart breaks because some of us are being killed instead of putting stuff to death. My heart breaks because I know from experience that there's more to it than just being in a church on a weekend. There's a deep and radical transformation that can happen. And here's why I know that. I grew up in a really strict conservative kind of church. We focused a lot on doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. We had this rule about you don't drink or smoke or chew or Go with girls who do. Uh, And we lived in West Virginia, so some of those were possible. Um, they had this whole thing about not dancing. Like we had this whole rule about you don't dance. Because you know what dancing leads to. That's right, smoking. That's what it leads to. And uh, do Do you want to know the truth? Here's the truth. I lived most of my early Christian life just trying not to tick God off just trying to stay enough on his good side that I wouldn't get rammed headfirst into hell when he came back. And so every thunderstorm, I'm like, Jesus, are we cool? Because if you're coming, I want to be ready. There's nothing good, beautiful, or true about that. There's nothing life-giving about that. I know some of you grew up in the same environment and you know all it does is make really exhausted people who have a gig on the weekends to be at. That's not what Jesus wanted. He wanted transformed people who knew they were alive and hidden and putting things to death and being renewed because that's what he did and that's what he came to bring. He does not want us to believe that God is a cosmic killjoy because the fact of the matter is we're the ones who kill our joy. Not him. What set me free was when I realized that God actually loved me even when I was a moron. Maybe even more so then. I was really, really impacted by an author early in my life named Henry Nowen. And he was kind of the one that got a hold of my heart and turned it in a different direction. Listen to what he says about this kind of life. He says, Every time you listen with great attentiveness to the voice that calls you the Beloved, you will discover within yourself a desire to hear that voice longer and more deeply. It's like discovering a well in the desert. Once you have touched wet ground, you just want to dig deeper. Instead of Jesus saying, See, idiot, I told you that was wrong. God says, Look, this is destructive. You know it's destructive. This is what happened. Here's how following my son will take you through this and out of it. says, you've been hidden. You are alive. Put to death those things. Be renewed. And not just that. This is what Paul does next that I find amazing. He says, this is actually what it looks like. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if, you have, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. People who are putting these things on just don't have time for the stuff that's going to destroy them. We drive on expressways in Chicagoland. If we're supposed to put on patience, that's a full-time job. It's unappealing to live into the things that put us to death. Paul's saying, if you want to see your world change, you want to see your marriage change, your family change, your job change, strip off that old dingy t-shirt of anger and rage and malice and lust and impurity and put on this new life. Clothe yourself with compassion and humility. And everything will transform. New life will start springing out of places that you never thought it possible. Parents, what would happen if we just admitted to our kids that sometimes we didn't have a clue what was going on? Okay, that's just me then. All right, fine. That's that's something I need to work on, I guess. What if we admitted to them, I just don't know? What if in our dating life, we started to put on humility and patience and said, God you're going to take me through this. And I don't know why I'm waiting and I don't know what I'm waiting for, but I know you've called me to be patient. What if in our work life, we put on patience on a daily basis? With that person in the cube next to us that we'd really like to punch in the face. What would that look like? I think it would be new life that we couldn't possibly imagine. We wouldn't have time for anger and malice and rage because we'd be too caught up in the revolution of patience. I want to ask you three questions to kind of focus our thoughts here at the end. First is, where are you right now? Where are you right now? Where is the good, beautiful, and true God working in your life right now? Are you you carrying around the old dead you just hoping things get better? Hoping renewal comes around the corner. Second question is what's guiding you? What's leading you right now? Are you you being led by advice from friends or advice from television personalities? Are you you getting your life wisdom from Dr. Oz or from somebody who's gonna give you something eternal, something that lasts? And finally, what's most important to you? Would you like to end, would you like to end the cycle of crazy? Have you had enough? Jesus says you can step out of that cycle And I'll show you how. I will break that. And maybe you won't get your reality TV show. I'm sorry about that. But you can break the cycle of crazy if you want. You can be a part of the greatest and most powerful life-changing thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. 2010 Winter Olympics. The snowboard half pipe event. There was a competitor in the field that was head and shoulders above everyone else. His name has become synonymous with the sport now. His name is Sean White. They call him the Flying Tomato because of his flowing mane of red hair. Now, Sean White, in this last round, the gold medal round, the round where the medals were decided, was the last one to go. Now, in snowboard halfpipe, you do two runs, the highest score counts. You don't combine them and average them. You get the higher of the two, and that's the one that counts. So the whole other field, the whole field had already gone, had already done their runs, and it came time for Sean to go. And Sean took his first run, and his first run was so good and so high that it secured him the gold medal. First run. And so he stood there on the edge of the halfpipe, Waiting for his second run, knowing I could fall on my face and slide all the way to the bottom and still win a gold medal. It's already decided. It's already wrapped up. So what would Sean do with that second run? I'd like to show you. The fourth and final trick of Sean's run had never been attempted in Olympic competition. It had never been attempted in half-pipe snowboard competition in history. It is called the tomahawk. It is a 1260 degree spin with a twist in the middle. He had never landed it in competition. And before his second run, he looked at his coach and he said, I'm going to do it. And he said, well, you'd better land it. Makes sense because he'd have broken his neck. At a moment when it was all tied up. At a moment when the gold was in his hands and he could have just coasted down the half but Sean said, why bother? If it's wrapped up, then let's go for it. Let's let it rip because it's all taken care of. This is the gospel. The gospel says you don't have to have your identity all tied up because God has done that for you. It is finished. It is complete. It is tied up. You are new in Christ, hidden with him, alive with Christ. So be fearless. Be courageous. Go out and live that kind of life that God has called you to do. Put to death the stuff that's behind you. Take on the renewal and become the person of compassion and patience and humility that you've always wanted to be. This is not a pipe dream. I know some of you are like, listen, you don't know my life. You haven't been where I've been. I know that's a nice sounding dream and it sounds good to me, but it's never going to happen. Listen, who put that dream there? The one who said you are hidden and alive. So put it to death and be renewed and go courageously. And Paul says, this is what it looks like. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Are you ready? Are you ready to reach out and grab that new identity and say, I'm dropping in. It's all tied up. I don't have to win a new identity. It's been given to me. I will be fearless. I will be courageous. And I will transform my life and my world because Jesus says that he is with me in it. I will do all things in the name of Christ Jesus. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Some of you need to take a first step there. Here's the first step. You say to Jesus, I'm done with old dead me. I'm tired of dragging the corpse around. I want to put it to death. I want to bury it. I want to be a new creation. He's already said it's true. You just reach out and take it. And some of you may need to take a courageous, fearless step and say, I'm going to jump into the water of baptism and say, this is official. I'm starting today a new life that can never be taken from me, no matter what. Are you ready? for the good, beautiful, and true life. I would say, come, come. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you because you have promised us we are hidden in you, alive in Christ, never to be taken from us. We can put to death the things that are going to kill us. We can be renewed in you and we can do all things every day in your name. So let us reach out and grab it and take it on ourselves today. It's in your name we pray, amen. Folks are good things to be had, good things to be had. We're getting ready for communion and um I felt this all all weekend. There's I feel like God is just doing some incredible things. Uh, in this place, and that I hope some old dead corpses are getting buried. That's, that's my hope, and that some new life is, is coming to pass, and God said He would do it, so I'm trusting Him for that. But one of the things I want to do now as we prepare for communion is to try and focus our minds a little bit on some very specific questions. So if you would, as we get ready, would you uh, take out a pen that's in front of you, and uh, maybe your bulletin. You've got some empty lines there, or some, there's some white space on your bullets in there. You just need a little bit of it. Uh, grab something like that. And what I want to do is take us back and get us to meditate for just a minute. And, and by the way, meditation is not a bad thing in, in churches. It's not just a new age thing. David was doing it way before that ever happened. Um, to spend some time thinking focused thoughts about three ideas from this passage in Colossians that I believe will help us as we go forward. So here's the first one that I want you to think on. The first one is this, raised with Christ, raised with Christ. And what I'd love for you to think on is what would it look like? What are some dead things in you that need to be buried and you need to be raised? What would it look like for you to live your life as if you were alive to new life Instead of having to go back to the cycle of crazy and do everything the way you've always done it, what would it look like to be raised with Christ? The second one is this hidden with Christ. What would it look like for your life to be safe, to be protected? in God's care and knowing that you know even if it's safe and protected there're going to be some dark things to happen but no matter what those dark things are they can't take that identity from you you are hidden in Christ safe encrypted stored away in the bank for safekeeping what would your life look like this week if you knew you were safe and hidden in Christ and the last one is this put to death what are some things this week that need to be put to death in your life? Some things that are robbing you of this good and beautiful true life that God has promised. Some things that are destroying your relationship with him, destroying you internally, destroying your relationship with other people. What do you need to put to death today in order to live this new, good, beautiful, and true life? As they pass the trays across, I want you to think on those three questions, those three statements. Raised with Christ, hidden with Christ, put to death. Which of those is most important to you today? Spend some time talking to God about these things. Now, when they pass the trays across, there are going to be two cups. Take both of them out, hold them. We'll take communion together. You don't have to be a part of Parkview. If you believe in Jesus, we welcome you to take communion with us. But during this time, think on those things. Raised with Christ, hidden with Christ, and put to death. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this moment where we get to reflect on who you are. And we get to reflect on what it means to us that if this good, beautiful, and true life is real, then we want some of it. And we need some of it. And so help us to wrestle with these three statements and know how our life is open to being changed by you because it's all about you. It's all by you. It's not our work that does it. It's you, you who does it in us. And let these elements remind us that it's not only probable, it's, it's not only possible, it's going to happen if we allow you in. It's in your name we pray. Amen.